morning. We are going to jump right into it because we have a lot of ground to cover. We've been seeing the gospel go viral. This idea in the early church after Jesus returns to heaven exploding in all the areas uh, around Jerusalem. And it is, if y'all remember a few years ago, uh, the ice bucket challenge. Um, y'all remember Chewbacca Mom a few, a couple years ago? Things like that, they just kind of take off. And they just spread out and they go and we're seeing that happen. We're seeing the work of the Holy Spirit through believers in the, their everyday lives. People coming to know Jesus over and over. It's this viral in the sense of taking off. Um, we're learning the good news is powerful, it's effective, even today, as it lives out through us as believers. It's the power of the Spirit working in our lives that provides fruit, fruit, growth, and power. But to what end? Like, as a Christian, and we have the Holy Spirit in our life, it's not just to make our lives comfortable. It's to challenge us and put us in places that are uncomfortable and awkward so we can lean on Him and depend on Him as we reach family members, co-workers, neighbors, people at the ball fields with the message of Jesus Christ. That's what it's for. We see it in struggles, that God brings growth. Last week, Pastor Ken ended on this, this idea of Saul radically being saved and becoming Paul, a man who was persecuting Christians, a man who was overseeing their imprisonment and their death, and now his life has been transformed, and he would become one of the greatest writers of the New Testament, one of the greatest missionaries of all time. We see the power of the transforming work of Jesus in someone's life. And if you're like me, and you like to watch stuff on Netflix sometimes, and you get to an episode, and you're like, what's next? And then the episode jumps to another character, and you have to wait for like two more episodes to get back to what's going on. That's what happens the reading of Acts right now. We, we have this incredible moment with Paul, and the God, Luke, the writer, says, time out. We're going to switch to the Peter. We're going to go back to him. We'll come back to Paul later. And that's what's happening here. And just some reminders of our first two theme verses, Acts 6 to 7, where Luke does this time out moment and says, all this is going on, but we want to remind you what the overall purpose is. Acts 6, 7 says, so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. And then in Acts 9.31, last week, then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. If I could summarize last week's message for me as I left last week, it was this. That God is just concerned about our everyday lives and circumstances and things that we do, the busyness of it. Um, for my wife and I, it's, we, are, we are at ball fields like five nights out of the week. We are constantly on the go. We're here involved in church. God is very concerned about those circumstances and the things we find ourselves in. The crazy, the hard, the difficult. But just as much, if not even more, he is concerned about changing and transforming our hearts in the midst of what we're doing in everyday life. And today we're going to end up at our, our next theme verse. I'm going to start us there. Once again, Luke is reminding, in the midst of all the crazy and all the chaos and all the action that's going on in the life of the church, there's this main purpose that's bigger than it all that he calls us back to. That as a follower of Christ, we're still breathing today so we can be a part of kingdom work all around us. Let's take a look at that theme verse. It's in Acts chapter 12, verse 24. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. We're going to see in chapters 9 through 12 real quickly this morning that the gospel spreads into new territory. 
The gospel cannot be contained. It cannot be restrained. It's always meant to go to everyone everywhere. The action toward the end of chapter 9 shifts back to Peter. And we see him begin to do ministry in the areas around Jerusalem. He starts off in verse 32 with this, this guy named Aeneas, and he heals him. He comes to a group, a body of believers, and, and a lot's going on. And then we, we, we shift to the latter part of chapter 9 to a, a lady named Tabitha. Um, that's, her, that's her Greek name. Her real name is Dorcas. Um, and she's a really good person. Um, she has been doing quiet work behind the scenes, and she's died, and people are sad, and, they're, and they're, 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 the widows that she really ministered to are upset about this. And we pick up in verse 36, as we see the early church continuing to grow and, and to be involved in the community they're in. And, and it reads in Acts chapter 9, verse 36, In Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in the upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, Please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Look at the impact they were saying that this lady made in our lives. Peter sent them all out of the room, and he got down on his knees, and he prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. And he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord as a result. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. One of the principles this morning that I think the Lord wants to teach us is that God loves, loves, and uses ordinary Christians whose lives may have received no excitement, that reflect no excitement, no travel, no fame. They don't have podcasts. They haven't written a bunch of books. They're not on TV every Sunday morning. They don't have a huge following. He uses everyday, ordinary folks like you and I to reach the kingdom around us. She's this type of person. She's caring for those who could not care for themselves. Uh, she is ordinary. She's not a rock star in the Christian faith. She doesn't know every verse in the Bible, perhaps. She may not have the most outgoing personality. She just simply was loving people and using the gifts that God had given her to minister to those around us, like many of you are doing today and in your life. We just need to remember to be intentional about sharing Jesus with those we're loving on. Peter didn't just show up on the scene and now, ha-ha, Peter, one of the great disciples of Jesus, the gospel is now here. We have to wait on the preacher to show up. We have to wait on, we have to wait on those who are more gifted to show up. It was already there. And there may be times you may feel neglected or unnoticed greeting someone at the front door, directing people in the parking lot, going to your same job that you faithfully have done year after year after year. And you may think that you're, you're just your day in and day out serving faithfully wherever God has placed you goes unnoticed. But it matters to God. It matters to the, the gospel as it goes to everywhere, to everyone. Don't try to be someone else. Don't compare yourselves to someone else. But do something to engage the world around you for the kingdom. For our, the gospel we lived out in our lives, you'll see that Peter had to go where God was working. So remember that something that as Christians we can fall in a trap for is, I just want to add God into my life. 
I just want to add a little bit here, a little bit there. I got my life where I want it to be. I've gotten it comfortable and safe. And I just want to add just a little bit to him. If we're going to engage in real gospel work, if we're going to see God really make a difference in our community, we need to begin to pray and be burdened about where are you working, Lord, and move me to there. I want to go and be a, be a witness for you wherever you're at and be open. And that's what Peter did. Peter showed up in this early church, these believers, that's where the Lord was at, and he was able to be a part of the work that the Lord was doing. And it can be messy sometimes. Often the gospel affects people the most when they see it lived out in our lives. And if we don't go out to where people are at, they are not going to see that. Both these stories, uh, healing Aeneas and healing and bringing back to life uh, Dorcas, shows the church is growing as a, as a result of God working in the lives of the believers. Peter, just being Peter. Nothing more, nothing less. Tabitha, Dorcas, being herself. Nothing more, nothing less living out God's call on their lives, a bigger purpose, a bigger purpose in their lives. Then we, trans, we transfer next to the story in Acts chapter 10. It's a lot of verses. And it goes on in chapter 11, and we call it the law of proportion. When Scripture pauses and spends a lot of time in an area, we need to slow down and pay attention. There's something here for us. And it's the story of Cornelius and Peter. Cornelius was a centurion. He was a military leader. He was a cat, like a captain in today's army. He's a Gentile soldier, so he's not a Jew. He's serving a city that is composed mainly of Gentiles with great influence. But he embraced and fell in love with the Jewish community. He began to do some of their practices. He participated in daily prayers. He was giving of alms. And Peter has, to, been, has been led by the Lord to reach out to him. And that very idea, as it comes to Peter would be abhorrent and like, are you kidding me? You want me to go and share the gospel and spend time with someone that I have been raised to hate and to not love, and they are unholy, they are unclean, and you're wanting me to take the gospel to them? So there's this tension going on at the time of the church. Jews versus Gentiles, open hostility to one another. Hundreds of years of the Jews being persecuted and, and being second-class citizens. And the Jews hated everything Gentile at this time in history. And they tried to avoid contact with non-Jews as much as possible. They were raised to, to do clean, the clean versus unclean. This is clean for a Jew. This is unclean. And so the Gentiles participate. They eat that food. They go to those places. They do those things on the Sabbath. We don't. And so we can associate with them because of that. All of this is going on in Peter's life right now before we get into the text. And we see here the principle playing out that it's a watershed moment for the early church. What are they going to do with this gospel that seems that the Lord wants to spread to everyone everywhere? God's about to break into Peter's comfortable lifestyle, his worldview, his upbringing, his internal biases, and they're going to shake him at his very core. The gospel will change Peter by the end of chapter 10 on how he views people. So I'm just going to read through some quick highlights of the chapter because we do not have time to do all 48 verses, and then we're going to unpack it a little bit. Peter's going to receive a vision, um, or Cornelius is going to receive a vision to, from an angel to send some people to Joppa to get this guy named Peter to bring to him. And Peter's going to receive a vision of, a, I call it a picnic sheet coming out of the, out of the heavens well, by the four corners. And on this picnic sheet, it's every kind of animal, all kinds of animal. Peter's praying. He's hungry. He sees this vision. And in Acts chapter 10, verse 
Uh, two, you first see Cornelius and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God re- regularly. Cornelius is a good dude by any man's standards. Today, I mean, he's a great guy, helping people, um, praying to God, trying to learn what it means to follow him. And so Peter, in chapter 10, verse 13, says that the voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat all these animals. And Peter says, Surely not, Lord. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. And the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. And immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. This is a quick aside. Notice the theme of three times in Peter's life. He denied Christ three times. In the restoration of Peter at the end of John, the little Jesus asked him three times, Do you love me and feed my sheep? Uh, and then notice this time, this vision. It may be totally coincidence, but I often think when I read this that God has a way of communicating to us based on our individual personalities and our individual lives that we need to be open to and listen to. It's not always the same for everybody in this room how God gets the attention of us when he really wants us to hear from him. The story continues um, as he's sharing the gospel of Jesus to Cornelius. and say, Cornelius, you're almost all the way there. You recognize that God is real. You recognize that you need to be a, a good moral person, but you're missing this part of the story. Um, and, and all of a sudden, other people start together. In verse 27, while talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. Verse 34 through 35, as he preaches the gospel to them, uh, he begins to realize, Peter says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. And in verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, preaching the gospel, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. And in verse 47, sure, no, no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Watershed moment for the early church. Will this gospel be, go past our walls that we have put up both men receive very vivid visions they both act on them peter's vision he's seeing this picnic sheet this thing come down full of live animals birds and reptiles peter was hungry he shows up to cornelius house he knows he's breaking the jewish law when he does it and he admits it to cornelius right off the bat peter knew that god was changing the rules the unlawful the unclean was declared no longer peter's job was to simply be the obedient servant Notice here, and this is a, 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 something we really got to grab a hold of. God sent an angel to Cornelius. Why not go ahead and use that amazing event to share the gospel? Why couldn't the angel go ahead and take care of this and Cornelius become a part of the faith and the story be, be, be done? Why involve Peter to begin with? I think there's several reasons, but two real quick ones. It's because Jesus, the Lord, wants to use us as his messengers, as his vehicles to get the message out to the world today. He wants to use each and every one of us where we are planted to get that word out. Number two, Peter could not grow in his faith unless he was a part of this working of the Lord in someone else's life. Some of you may have come to your faith and it feels stagnant. It feels like you're in a rut. I encourage you, step out in those awkward, in those hard places, and step out into sharing the gospel with others. And what does that look like in your life? We'll get to it in a few moments. But be available and open. Be surrendered to him and say, Lord, use me to be who you want me to be in that vehicle of sharing the gospel with others. 
Peter would not have had his watershed moment. His heart would not have been transformed to see that God is for everyone everywhere if he wasn't a part of this story right here. So yes, the angel could have done the work, but God wanted to use us. Fallen, us unworthy, us vessels to share the gospel with others. Peter has a captive audience here. The Holy Spirit always assembles those he wants to hear the gospel from. And there's another principle we learn here, that anyone, anyone who trusts Jesus is welcome into his body, the church. God shows no favoritism. No longer was the God only for the Jews, that he was also a Messiah for everyone. We should be ready when the, God, when the Lord calls us to love and share the gospel with those around us who are not like us. God does not put God, any barriers on the gospel. Political, ethnic, monetary status, different lifestyles, none. His desire is that all, everywhere on this entire planet should hear the gospel, the good news. We have to be aware of our internal biases. We have to allow the Holy Spirit to do some work in our hearts. Our hearts need to be full of love for all people. Don't avoid those in your circles that you dislike. That Don't just favor those who agree with you all the time and shun those who disagree. Maybe the person that doesn't see life the way you do is the very person that God wants you to love on and inform uh, their walk in the Lord. Don't allow the things and systems of earth to get in the way of developing a loving relationship that allows for the gospel to be received. In other words, I think the principle here is let's never elevate our position, our opinion on something above the overall purpose of this is a person made in the image of God who I don't agree with anything on about life but needs Jesus. And I don't leave my position, my opinion, my stance on life get in the way of loving them. And showing them that Jesus loves them as well. We see our time with Cornelius wrap up with people getting saved. Many put their trust in the name of Jesus for salvation. And they received the Holy Spirit and was baptized. I think we often find a struggle to witness, to talk to others about Jesus. Uh, we can feel guilty about failing to share the gospel for long periods of time. I have met with Christians before and talked with them who have never shared the gospel or their testimony with someone else or their faith. I think sometimes we can rely on formal church programs uh, of outreach or we say, you know, that's the pastor's job. That's the, the church's job to do that. I, the challenge is, and I've been there too, is to begin to have an awareness of intentionality of saying, you know, Lord, I've come to know you. You're my Lord and Savior. Why am I still here? What is my purpose? Um, why aren't you calling me to heaven to be with you forever right now? And maybe part of that intentionality is to take a time out and say, Lord, I just want to begin to pray. Pray for an awareness that there are people I come across every day who do not know you. And what do you want my part to be in loving them, in engaging with them, taking a baby step and just that awareness will make all the difference in the world because as you do that daily and pray that daily the people we come across whether it's at the ball fields at the fences at the bleachers at the work at the gas station is that is always running your mind lord this is a person that needs to know you how can i be a witness for you and to them how can i love them how can i be more bold and share my faith we see that happening here uh, throughout the early church 
May we just spend a little more time asking the Lord to give us a discerning spirit to reach out eyes and hearts to hear and to see where he has for us in our daily lives. This is not an attack on what we are doing with our lives. This is not saying you don't need to be at the ball field. You need to be at the church every time the doors are open. No, this is a, a reminder to say where we are at, that's where the Lord wants to be with us in engaging people for him. We jump into Acts chapter 11, and Peter now has to explain things are different. Um, there's nothing like being on a spiritual high like Peter was and coming back to his brothers and sisters in the Lord, and they just pull him right back down to earth. Um, in Acts 11, we see, the apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him. And said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and you ate with them? How dare you? Peter faces criticism. They were worried about tradition and the way they thought things should be. There was no questions about, wait a minute, were people saved? Was there outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Did God show up? They didn't care about that. They just cared about you did what with whom? Peter maturely responds to the criticism. He's a different Peter than we first meet him in the Gospels. The Holy Spirit has seasoned this man. And he simply explained to them what happened. The Gospel doesn't need to be a hindrance to their overall purpose of what we're doing. The minutia of doctrine, the minutia of systems, the ways to approach, the ways to worship God. I always call it the law of purpose over preference. Peter laid down his preferences for the bigger picture the bigger purpose of the gospel and the kingdom that it would advance. Sometimes I see God move in other areas of, of churches and lives. I'm like, that doesn't make sense to me, but I'm glad you're working, Lord. So we don't need the, uh, another, another big principle here is we're engaging our community with the gospel is different theological bents, our personal beliefs, our political persuasion should not separate us or be a barrier from us simply sharing the love of Jesus to those around us. If all of them are bending toward the Lord, that's what matters. And it should never, ever be a hindrance for the gospel to work in someone's life. Thankfully, in this situation, cooler heads prevail. The church says this makes sense. It'll come up later. They still got to iron some things out. Um, but for now, they're like, let's do this. And now, verse 18, Acts chapter 11, when they heard this, they had no further objections. And they praised God, saying, so then even to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Praise the Lord. And the fourth principle here is that when we reach others out for Jesus, sometimes we will face criticism. Our job is to simply proclaim the gospel. The results remain in God's hands. Meanwhile, there's this church in Antioch that's exploding. So we kind of shift to that church. People are meeting needs. Uh, Paul and Barnabas are sent to check out what's going on. We're going to be seeing the action shift for the rest of Acts from Jerusalem to Antioch. And, and this church here is reaching Jews. They're reaching Gentiles. Uh, we see in verse 19 of chapter 11, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks, Gentiles also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So we see here another principle at play that the spread of the gospel does not happen in a vacuum. It's often done within the context of community, together. We are stronger together on a purpose of not just surviving life here in America, 
but a purpose that's bigger than all that. Not, not, not oh, how are we going to get through our week, but how are we as a church family going to reach the community around us with the gospel? Almost every turn, the ministry and acts is done in teams. Christians working together to accomplish God's work on earth more effectively together than anyone could ever do alone. We see in the text here in this church, this emerging church, different people, different roles, different ministries, all working together to proclaim the gospel. The word for it is church, the body of Christ. It's a beautiful thing that we have a privilege to be a part of today, but not as a spectator, someone that just comes and sits every week, but someone that can join in with others across this room with a singular purpose. What are we doing to reach others for Jesus Christ? Accomplishing God's work through his grace and power. And Luke tells us for the first time ever, believers here were called Christians. The church must be marked by love that goes outward, not inward. We need to focus on ministries and movements that go outward and invite and bring people in. I challenge you, when's, begin to pray. When's the last person you invited to church? When's the last family you brought in? When was the last person you had over for supper at your home that was outside the church that you could just love on and, tell, and just begin to develop a relationship with? And then quickly, we've got we to wrap up here so we can land the plane. We go into Acts chapter 12. Peter's back in prison. He's going against Herod, more persecution. This wave of, of suffering and, and just, it's, it's not fun days for, for Peter. He's in jail. Uh, great kingdom work is happening alongside the struggle. Um, and we see, we see our theme verse coming at, toward the end of chapter 24, where the word of God continues to spread and flourish. That you see in chapter 12, the church come together and pray. Uh, you see Peter miraculously just walk out and escape and show up at the prayer meeting. And they're, and they're praying for him. And he shows up, I'm here. And they're like, what? And they see God work and work because their purpose and all that they were doing was about kingdom work. And we see even in the midst of all the struggle, the kingdom work, the gospel, the church continues to flourish. Now, I don't know about you, but I looked at the word flourish here. It means to grow or develop in a healthy and vigorous way, especially in the result of a particularly favorable environment. Ha! Huh. I don't know if being in prison, I don't know if being persecuted would be considered a favorable environment for you and I. In our eyes, no, but in God's kingdom, yes. His ways are not our ways. Looking at the early church, we feel like the world around us, too, is falling apart, becoming less friendly to Christian ideas becoming less friendly to raise our families the way we want to but the gospel is still working it's still going it's still going viral around the world we have to just be more intentional about plugging into it this god he's watching over us his plans are be carried out even today even when the immediate around us doesn't seem like it we can trust that god is at work we can experience that even more when we take our eyes off ourselves off our problems, off the daily working of the world and not just put, and put them on God, but also join him in where he's at in spreading the gospel. The gospel is spreading to new territory. It cannot be contained. It cannot be restrained. It always meant to go to everyone, everywhere. Uh, just a couple of stories to hopefully help bring out some of these principles. There's a lot more there. I encourage you, if you're not doing the reading plan, start this week. You'll read over what we've been going through this morning in Acts my job uh, is in evangelical church missions. Um, for the last five years, I work for a nonprofit that oversees mission work um, in several places around the world. It's a privilege to be a part of a team that helps mission work around the world. Uh, just a couple of stories uh, to, to share what's going on to give you a global perspective of the Lord, Lord working. 
Um, this past year, we were able to raise enough money to help purchase eight, over 8,000 Bibles to be distributed in a country I cannot mention right now for security reasons. And we could not go to do it. But we sent a team of nationals in this country with those Bibles to spread the gospel and hand them out to people who desperately do not have the Word of God. They do not have it in abundance like we do. This summer, we got that money raised. We were able to purchase them. We were able to get them there. We had distributors, local nationals, to send that word out. The last report we got a couple weeks ago is that four of them have been murdered and killed handing out the Bibles. One of them, the widow, after the funeral, it's very moving for me, went back, grabbed the rest of her husband's Bibles after she laid him to rest and took them out to the communities where the nationals are working. That is not a story that's made up. It's a story that I've been intimately involved in and helping and praying with. It is that local community in that country doing what God's called them to do to engage the gospel where they're at. We have a group that over the years, uh, again, for security reasons, I can't mention the country, talk to you after this if you want to know more about it. We send balloons into a country that is anti-Christian, and the balloons have the gospel in it. And the balloons pop, and it gives it to people. 90% of their imprisoned people who are in prison in this country are because of their faith in Christ. What's moving to me is that we will rescue some of those people, we'll bring them out, and we now are in a country that's free, and they can, they can be free. I, overwhelmingly, over 80% of them say, will you please train me and send me back to the country I came from so I can reach other people, my other countrymen for Christ. Send me back into the prison, send me back into the persecution. That's happening right now as we're speaking. That kind of stuff around the world is going on. The gospel is invading. So well, what does that mean for us here? I don't have that same threat. I don't have that same reality day in and day out. And I don't share those stories to make us feel bad. That's not the goal here. They are intentionally doing what God's calling them to do as a church where they're at. All I think that we need to do is a couple things. Begin to shift some of our prayer life, first and foremost. You will see in a current that we haven't even touched on all through Acts, the early church praying, praying, praying. Often, if you were to take the roof off of this into our small groups and our prayers that we pray, and you would compare them to other groups of believers around the world, they would be very different prayers. God cares deeply about us doing well in our soccer game this weekend. He cares deeply about making good grades in school. He cares deeply about our colds and our illnesses. Don't hear me when I say he doesn't care about those things. But if we can begin to just get a, a small part of the spirit of the early church here and begin to just make an intentional shift in our prayers, add a few more in there like, Lord, give me a burden for Loganville and Monroe. Give me a burden for my neighbors. Let me see them with your eyes. Lord, give me an awareness of as I go to the ball games and I sit at these bleachers and at these fences that there's are conversations I can begin to have. And I understand personality types. Don't let them be an excuse to engage in the gospel. I am a major introvert. The anxiety that I feel walking down the hall. I'm the guy that's going to walk down the hallway and I'm going to make you switch sides two or three times because I don't know where to stand. That's me. I will spend the rest of the afternoon replaying the conversations I've had with you because I'm worried I said the wrong thing. I live in the land of introvertedness and social anxiety. Don't let that be a hindrance that the person at the bleacher standing there every week with you needs Jesus, and let me just start talking to them, because you don't know what's going to come out of those conversations. 
Um, so pray. Pray intentionally. If we can draw what's out of here, it's that prayer intentionally. Um, and, and just be available. And, and ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, let me be aware of the moments you've set up for me to have those conversations that I'm just running right through. Um, a couple, I was 16 years old. I was working at a, one of the few left full-service gas stations in middle Georgia. It was an Exxon gas station on the interstate. We pumped your gas and charged you a lot more just so we could wipe your windshield and check your tires, okay? That's what it basically was. And we sold you peaches, and we changed your tire if you had a flat tire because you didn't know that a mile down the road was a lot cheaper tire place. You're on the interstate, so we're going to charge you a lot of money. So we're doing all this, and this Volkswagen Beetle pulls up. And it's got a surfboard on it and good tars, and it is loaded down. I'm 16 years old. I'm the only one at the gas station that morning. And it outsteps this older gentleman. And he looks like, like a, what I would describe as a hippie. I mean, stickers all over the place. And I go to fill up his car, and he starts asking me. And he first says, uh, do you know Jesus? And I said, yes, sir, I do. And we started having a conversation. He goes, well, I didn't until about five years ago. My son, I'm a, I was a successful lawyer, and my son went to some youth camp and he came back all fired up for Jesus and I just made fun of him I laughed at him I'm like you believe in this fairy tale I just dogged him day in and day out and for two or three years through high school he would just go to youth group he'd carry that bible around and I couldn't stand it and it, we just drifted apart and he goes I remember just making fun of him one morning about him going off to his fairy tale church and this kind of stuff and he goes later that night on his way home he was hit by a drunk driver and my son was killed and he goes, I stand here today, I was at his funeral, and I saw all these people coming, like Dorcas, just sharing how my son had impacted their lives. And I knew then and there that if I did not find this Jesus, I would never see my son again. And he goes, now I go to promise keepers all around the country, just trying to tell dads that, hey, pay attention to your kids, love on them. And he came to Christ because of the death of his son. He responded that way. And I got to sit there and hear that story, which in, impacted me. And do you know for an hour as we were sitting there talking, there was this other person sitting there just listening. And now another person came in. We're a very busy gas station. The Lord ordained those moments that we can just be aware of to walk into. Um, uh, a few years, 20 years ago, I was going through a very painful time in my life. And we're going to, I'm going to start wrapping up. But I just want to share this one more story. And my, some friends in the ministry invited me down to a conference in Florida and said, just come and rest, and you don't have to go to the conference. Let us spend some time with you. And I went into the presidential suite area where they bring you uh, burgers and, you know, all kinds of stuff. And I was doing some work, and I had my Bible open, and I kept noticing this businessman. I just began to pray for him. I said, Lord, this guy, he's got puffy red eyes. He looks like he... He's very stressed out. He's reading the stock market paper there about his stock market. And I said, let me just pray for him. And he caught me staring at him. It's a very awkward moment. Again, for the introverted guy, I'm like, oh, I did it again. And he goes, you're, you're, uh, I see you have a Bible there. Do you really believe that stuff? And he, he had like, oh, here comes that open door. I really didn't want to open door, Lord. This is so all hard. <laughs> yes, I believe in this Bible. I said, what's going on? I, I, could, I could tell you're in distress. He goes, my best friend, my daughter, because... That, if that God's real, he doesn't love me. Uh, my best friend and my daughter was killed in a car accident. And every year I come down because her favorite place was the spot on the beach. And I sit there. And for a moment with the sun setting and the, and the ocean, I just feel at peace. And the Holy Spirit then gave me the words. I said, how is that working out for you? And he said, not very well because it doesn't last. I said, well, let me tell you about someone that it will last. I'm nothing special. 
we just need to slow down. Look for the moments. I can't tell you, and I'm not going to get into those stories because hopefully you're going to see them in here soon. The last year, my wife and I have been praying about intentionally. We want to talk to people about Jesus at the, at the fences of these ball games, and we have so many going on right now. Um, we're seeing the Lord hopefully just using us as a family to minister to them. This isn't about Chris and Lisa. I want to make sure you hear my heart here. I'm sharing it to say we see in the gospel here a church who has a purpose that's, that's fitting into where their life is. So I'm not saying get rid of your ball games and your sports and your busyness and their dreams and your passions and your travel. I'm saying have an awareness why you're traveling, why you're doing life, why you're working, why you're at the ball games. That there's people around you that need to hear the gospel, that desperately need to hear what you and I have, the answers to everything. That's my plea to you this morning. That's my challenge. Let us pray. Father God, Philip Bliss says it this way, whoever heareth, shout, shout the sound. Lord, you tell us, he says, spread the blessed tidings all the world around. Tell the joyful news wherever man is found, whoever may come. So what I pray right now for each of us in this room, we went through the scripture really, really fast, but the principles are there. But Lord, help us to say, here am I. Take my life, take what you've put together, the dreams, take the things uh, that you have called us to, whether it's at work, whether it's, uh, Lord, in our kids' lives, how busy they are. Most of us parents have turned into glorified Uber drivers for our kids, Lord. And we know that. But Lord, in the midst of all that, help us to have an awareness. Send us where we can be a mighty army for you. Help us to be intentional about reaching others for Christ. Lord, help us to pray for the persecuted church around the world where the gospel is advancing in spite of all the suffering. Lord, help us when the next mission trip comes up to sign up. I want to go see what's going on around the world. Lord, help us to just plug in. Give us a brokenness. Give us a passion. Lord, give us, Lord, just an awareness of you working all around us right here. Right here, Lord. Help us to love people. And help us to just have those awkward conversations, those times of just leaning in to say, we want to be there. We want to tell you about Jesus. We want to invite you. We want to bring you to a place that you'll hear about Jesus. Help us, Lord, to respond to this in the name of Jesus. Amen.